You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. I'm Tim Brunero. Well, coronavirus, it's changed how we all work, whether it's ditching carpooling or staggered shift starts or getting friendly with hand sanitizer in a whole new way. But some proposed solutions, like 21 days on, seven days off rosters, have been shown the door. Companies were using COVID-19 to push through rosters they couldn't get in the past. An example of that was at one stage, they were suggesting 21 days on, seven days off. That's what BHP were suggesting. Others, like Glencore, were suggesting 14 days on, 14 days off. Just to set the scene, Queensland is not remote and our mining communities are not remote like Western Australia, so there's no need for those sorts of rosters. Um, the union intervened immediately. We discussed the matter with the QRC, who represents the coal companies and also the Queensland Government, and just said it was totally unacceptable and we're not going to have COVID-19 be used to push through rosters at any time that we thought were totally unacceptable and put workers at risk. So where we ended up with is currently what's in place, the longest roster that can be worked in coal in Queensland is seven days on with seven days off. They've got to be a, a roster which is an even time roster. So. We're at this stage, is still a battle. Yes, the battle never ends. That's Steve Smythe, CFMEU Mining and Energy Queensland District President. You'll hear more from him in a second. But it's not just rosters that are changing. FIFO workers have had to relocate across the country. Some are saying, like CFMEU Mining and Energy President Tony Maher, FIFO work may never be the same again. Longer term, I think, Companies have to reassess their over-reliance on long-distance FIFO because there are risks associated with it. I mean, it's almost like FIFO's black swan event, and I don't think boards of directors can ignore the risk attached to that business model. You'll hear more from Tony soon. Yes, for FIFO workers, there's been big changes. Many have had to relocate interstate and leave their families due to border closures, and there's inevitably a human side to that. Our grandson's only about five weeks old, but he's, um, yeah, only just recently in the last few days he's fallen ill. Yeah, he was quite sick. So I have to ring up today to see how he's going, but he was on, slightly on the improve yesterday. So, um, yeah, it all just adds up to make things a bit harder when you're away and you um, can't be there for the, for the daughter or the, the family, you know. Yes, that's Pilbara locomotive driver Paul Bloxham, who's had to relocate to WA from Queensland for work and leave his family behind. Paul's case is interesting because it's true, babies are still being born. No crisis can stop that. Uh, You'll hear from a shot firer at the Ravensworth open cut in the Hunter Valley very soon. Uh, She's worked very hard for many years to get maternity leave and decent breastfeeding facilities for working mums. Uh, You'll hear from her in a second. But look, let's start in Queensland with Stephen Smythe, CFMEU Mining and Energy District President, talking about the challenges of the coronavirus crisis. The predicament that the union is in a, to, to an extent is that we have members who do FIFO, DIDO, we have them who are casuals, contractors and permanents. So our view was first and foremost, each and every one of those members be treated the same, same dignity and respect and we had to protect them all. So it really took a bit of pushing and prodding and, and I think what I call it was the Bondi of the sky was some weeks back at a ch- shift changeover at the BHP Dornier and Cavill Ridge mines, people were put on buses there was not a spare seat. Then they were put on the planes to fly back to Brisbane and Cairns. The planes were chock-a-block. Those photos were sent through to us. We then raised it through government to QRC and just said, this is totally unacceptable. The council were also up in arms, and rightly so. 
So that really triggered a change. The decision had to be made because FIFO was on the edge of being stopped. The result of that is uh, they then put on extra additional charter flights, they changed the start days, they reduced the numbers on buses. So a lot of work went into that. And they finally put in temperature checking, which is a screening tool at the airport, both at point of departure and, and arrival at destination. So, so they put a protocol out and says, Oh, social distancing, you must, if possible, up to 1.5 metres, no longer than 15 minutes and every two hours in a piece of equipment, must clean down and those types of uh, procedures be followed. At first, um, a lot of the employers, I don't think, really took it seriously. And where we're at now is through the pushing of the, the guys and girls at the coalface literally on the job, we've now got what I think um, is ever-evolving procedures and protocols in place, which is what our workers have really driven and examples I can give is they now do, do temperature checking or screening at every mine site. Where our officials of the CFMEU have been out and about, myself I've been out of a number of underground mines this week um, at different employers seeing what they've got in place and there's still some challenges around the social distancing, particularly in an underground environment because you work so close together, you work in the same air split. So it's really about people, you know, the guts of it says if you're sick don't go to work. But that's not as easy for a lot of people because if you're a casual or a contractor you may and you're in an arrangement where you're not a full-time employee, you may not have the ability to be paid if you're off work. If I think open-cut mines and surface mines have still got a bit of work to do. I can't understand for the life of me uh, why they continue to want to train people in, in within equipment when you can't maintain the social distancing. There's no need for it. Um, hot seat changing, which is a term they use in the open-cut mines where on meal breaks they'll take a an operator out of one piece of equipment and put another operator in. We don't believe that hot seat changing should, should occur because there's too many interactions. Um, and also then at the camps, there's really an area where camps don't really have a lot of jurisdiction. Um, we've been calling on the Queensland Government through health to put in public health officers to go in and check for enforcement of, of the situations in the camps for the protocols they've got in place. And the stopping of hot bedding, you know, it's crazy to think that a person can get up on their day shift go to work and someone from night shift comes back and uses that room. You know, it, they say they clean it, but, but we are struggling to understand how they can maintain these high levels of hygiene. But that, again, that comes back to why we need these public health officers, for a better word, to go in and check compliance and then enforcement at the camp. So, you know, I just can't emphasise enough that all these protocols and procedures have been driven from a coal face, literally. Once the companies have realised they need to engage their workforce in doing this, then, then the results are starting to flow and um, but then, the, then the workers own it. Stephen Smythe, Queensland District President. You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Now, as you may have heard, the FIFO thing has got a bit more complex. Uh, locomotive driver Paul Bloxham is from Mackay in Queensland and he's used to the monthly commute to the northwest of Western Australia. But he had to make a very tough decision a few weeks ago about whether to move to WA permanently or give up work. The weekend before I was due to fly back on the Monday, um, we got a call from work saying that they were concerned uh, with all us guys on National FIFO that we wouldn't be able to get back across the WA if the uh, state borders were closing. So we had to make a decision as to whether or not we relocated to WA for uh, three months for starters and we see how things go. Or we stayed at home, just had to use our leave or long service up for as long as the crisis goes for. It was a bit of a tough call and had to have a few discussions with the wife, obviously, about what we were going to do. Just spent the day basically thinking about that while I'm tidying up around the house as I normally do before I fly back to work. Yeah, it was, it was a tough decision to make. At the end of the day, I, I came to the conclusion that there wasn't really any choice. Um, I've just had to relocate to WA for a few months now and 
we see how long this um, drags on for. But um, yeah, so I left the wife and the family at home and um, had to relocate to WA. I work up in the Pilbara, so I'm based in Tom Price. At the moment, I'm um, sharing a house with a, a workmate in Bunbury, south of Perth, a couple hours south of Perth. There's, there's Checkpoint Charlie's. Um, they've set up regions in um, WA. There, there was a yeah, pretty big operation on the highway. We had to pull up and identify ourselves, and um, we've got a, a letter from work to say that we're an essential um, service job as FIFO workers um, in the mines, so we're um, allowed to cross through that border to go down to um, yeah, where my mate lives in Bunbury. Yeah, the initial um, roster setup was brought in that we were still going to work a, a two-week um, rotation, but they wanted us to do uh, 14 days, have the 14 off, and then do 14 consecutive nights and 14 off. But that was, yeah, not viewed popularly by the boys. It was the 14 night shifts. Um, yeah, we thought that was going to be a bit hard to achieve, and, and so we um, there was a bit of pushback, and uh, the company realised that um, maybe the best option was to stick with the current patterns which are all risk assessed and um, safe to do for us. Paul Bloxham there talking about the reality of moving states for work. Let's head east now to see how coronavirus is affecting non-FIFO workers. Stephen Luck is the CFMEU Industry Health and Safety Inspector for coal mines around Lisco and Mudgee. He says having kids and partners at home due to coronavirus is making life for coal miners challenging, even before you start fiddling with shift times. At the moment, some are just changing their start times or start times where some are coming in half an hour early and some are arriving half an hour late. So basically that eliminates that, uh, that crossover. But certainly there's, there are some looking at the five, 12 and a half hour shifts. There has been a little bit of a pushback from these full bank of, of uh, five. Normally they work three days and two nights, or three nights and two days. Um, they, they stagger them, but, um, but certainly this is being looked at. But all of these rosters and shift changes are, are risk-based, so all of these mines will be completing a in regards to what effects it could possibly have on the workers, and, that, uh, and they are the concerns of the workers in regards to certainly uh, fatigue management. Uh, when uh, Now that you have, because of this COVID-19, where you have uh, potentially home, self-isolating uh, at the moment, which wouldn't be a normal circumstance or possibly a, a spouse working from home. Working the full five day night shifts, uh, potentially you've got that problem you'd, you'd have at home when you have everybody. Potentially when you have to try to get some sleep on a five day roster uh, with everybody being at home, it would potentially be certainly a fatigue management problem. But with all that family being at home, um, I think it would be a, a pretty hard call. They're not implementing it straight away and they're not forcing these guys to do it at the moment. It's being risk assessed and then they'll be looking at it, but it potentially that they could go ahead. And that's from a, a few mines across the board as well. That's not just, just the odd mine. That's, uh, they're basically looking at all avenues they can. 19. Everything that they can possibly implement, aid their site, they're trying. Stephen Luck says he knows from his own home life how things have changed. His partner works in a pharmacy and has been doing a lot more deliveries to self-isolating seniors over the age of 70. And the stress of having to put on protective equipment and drive medicine to people has been tough. The home life at the moment is completely and utterly changed to what it used to be. Our normal home life now is, has ceased uh, because... 
with guys that are on, on the night shifts, if you've got everybody at home, it's impossible to sleep and the stress and anxiety that's put upon the family to try and maintain a, a quiet household uh, all day while they sleep, it's not conducive to getting your in regards to uh, fatigue management. My wife at the moment, she is in the high risk category. She's a, an essential worker uh, at a chemist. She is being abused all day and from all walks of life. Uh, people are just, they're, they're, they're angry. Everybody's got their own pressures. Everybody's got their, ho- their own anxieties. Certainly a night shift worker, the pressures and anxieties would escalate if they're not getting enough sleep. CFMEU Industry Health and Safety Inspector Stephen Luck. Well, shift changes are one thing, but what about the international coal price? Has it been affected by coronavirus? Peter Colley is the National Research Director with CFMEU Mining and Energy, and I asked him about coal prices. The prices of thermal coal for power generation have been falling for over a year. Been more of a steady drift down from something like 83 American dollars a year ago down to in the mid-60s. But there has been a sudden drop in the last two weeks to the mid-50 American dollars a tonne. That's significant. But the big drop only happened in the last two weeks, so um, it remains to be seen whether that's an ongoing issue. Similar with coking coal for steelmaking, prices were up more in the order of 150 American dollars a tonne a year ago. They were drifting around 130 American dollars a tonne for most of February and March, but now they're down to under 120 American dollars a tonne, and that's a concern. You need to remember that a lot of coal is sold on longer-term contracts rather than spot prices, so the price drops have not been as significant. Changes in prices are one thing, but what about jobs in the industry? The mining industry in general has been continuing during the coronavirus period unlike other industries which have been forced to largely shut down. So that means jobs have held up in mining. There are some signs that jobs have actually been increasing. Queensland Resources Council said that, so did BHP, said they're adding 1,500 jobs. There is Bureau of Statistics data which says that there has been a drop in mining employment but we think that's been mostly in exploration and in services to mining rather than in actual production jobs. That said, if um, low prices for coal keep happening, um, the jobs question may come back. There may be job losses. We don't know yet. We haven't seen it to date. Peter Colley. Look, I want to head to the Hunter Valley now and, heaven forbid, talk about something not related to coronavirus. You're going to hear from Kerry Kaneski. Now, she's a shot fire at the Ravensworth Open Cut in the Hunter, and she's worked very hard for many years to get decent breastfeeding facilities for working mums at her pit. She explained to me it was the day she walked in on a colleague expressing breast milk she then had to throw away, which motivated her to join with her union and take action. I walked into a bathhouse at work and there was a young woman, um, young contractor girl. She's sitting in the bathhouse um, and she's expressing. She's just had a little baby. She's had to come back to work. The child was less than six months old and it just brought me straight back to when I had my son. I also returned when he was six months old. That was difficult, you know, in your in your crib break. Um, you, you know, it was a rush up to the top, into the bathhouse, get your, um, you know, your breast pump and express um, so, you know, you could keep up your, your flow for the child. Um, and, you know, you had to do this in, you know, in your time. Um, and there was nowhere to store it. So you'd have to tip it out. So when I saw this young girl, I thought it just took me back to then and thinking, you know, that was such hard times. 
um, you know, just juggling being a mum, um, trying to be a nursing mother as well and to get that supply because your weekends on your days off was like, oh gosh, I've got to try and, you know, get a supply so, you know, the baby's right while I'm at work. Um, so I approached um, one of our work health safety ladies um, and just asked her, you know, just said, you know, what are, what are the chances? Um, you know, I've, I've seen this young girl in there. I know how hard it is. Approached the company. Um, we had a bit of a chat. We'd organised a private room that um, the nursing girls have now um, so they can get somewhere in private so they haven't got people walking in and out, you know, while they're doing that and also asked whether or not it was possible to get a little refrigerator, just like a little bar fridge, and the company came to the party, which was fantastic. There you go, Hunter Valley coal worker Kerry Kineski. She actually had some great tips for negotiating with the company too, and we might hear from her in a later episode. Well, let's leave the final word to CFMEU Mining and Energy President Tony Marr. He says mining companies have been keen to exploit the union's connections with Labor governments in this time of crisis around the country. Yeah, look, all, all these big mining companies, you know, they have their own relationships, uh, but they are interested in us uh, supporting certain things, and we're prepared to do that if it's in our members' interest. I think our members would expect us to do what we can to keep them in a job so long as they're safe, and that's got to be the paramount consideration. But we've also, in this crisis, been having discussions with the coalition's ministers, state and federal. Um, and we were doing that before this crisis, I've got to say, because the government of the day, you've got to deal with whether you particularly like them or not. We do that to look after our members' jobs and uh, make no apologies for it. Again, in, in times of crisis, people from opposite sides of the political divide uh, do reach out, and, and that's a good thing. I asked Tony what he's hearing from the coalface from members. Feedback I'm getting is bewildered, almost dazed, uh, lots of new rules, concerned that things aren't being uniformly uh, implemented. They're concerned about what the impact it has uh, at home, whether or not they're endangering their families while they're going to work. They're worried about, well, what happens if they can't go to work? I mean, the level of anxiety must have gone straight through the roof. That's the feedback uh, we're getting. And we're trying to troubleshoot, you know, the non-compliance with health and hygiene practices and you know that's a moving feast and uh, but I think hopefully you know it will get better compliance will get better as we go on the better companies contact us for feedback regularly and that's a good thing because they can't be sure you know when you when you employ tens of thousands of people you can't be sure that the line management are telling you telling you the truth unions are a good source of secondary feedback you know I think that's a smart thing to do CFMEU Mining and Energy President Tony Ma. Well, that's all we've got for you on episode one of the CFMEU Mining and Energy podcast. We'll catch you next time and hopefully have something for you that's not so corona-related. See you later.